Hello and welcome to the Sustainability Time podcast hosted by the University of Victoria Sustainability Project. My name is Anne-Marie Pierce and I am your host today. Today I'm recording on Wasanich territory and I am joined by my coworker Ely from the UVSP and we are joined by a special guest, Sid Welsh from Campus Community Garden. We're going to ease into a discussion about the distribution of food and thus the inequalities within our food systems. The big topic of discussion, or at least what I think is a big topic of food deserts, and I think there is a perception that we don't have food deserts because we are a first world country, which both <laughs> assumptions are inaccurate. The fact of the matter is that many Canadians do live in food deserts. They are neighborhoods where residents have little or no access to stores and restaurants that provide healthy and afford affordable food. This means that the closer to home alternatives for these people, typically a corner store or fast food restaurant are understandable choices. Geographical constraints will inevitably impact our dietary choices and ultimately our likelihood of developing obesity or chronic disease. I read that technically you live in a food desert if you are farther than one kilometer away from affordable and healthy place of buying food. Further looking into the inequalities of this, you may live in a food desert, um, but you might also be privileged. So you have a car and you have gas and you're able to go to a healthy spot near you, maybe farther than one kilometer away, but you're still able to have access to that. Whereas if you are a part of a socioeconomic group that is largely uh, marginalized or discriminated against, or the fact that you don't have the privilege to maybe own a car or that you have to use public transportation to go to a healthy food store farther away than one kilometer, you're probably more at risk to uh, developing chronic diseases and obesity. Yeah, we were just talking about this, I think, yesterday in one of my economic geography classes and discussing um like mcdonald's or like fast food chains and how they're everywhere because like they're franchise and they'll be located in certain areas where they shouldn't be you find a pattern between like like as you were saying like between mcdonald's and obesity and our class is just kind of discussing like should there be regulations where mcdonald's is not allowed to be located in some places like if they're located in some place next to it there should be a health food store like a health food store should not be like in the central business district and mcdonald's is everywhere else mcdonald's is within a kilometer of you you're able to walk within like five minutes to go to mcdonald's whereas you would have to take the bus or train or, or pay money for transportation to go to a health food store which is like maybe 20 minutes away you're obviously gonna go to mcdonald's more frequently and also too thinking about the other barriers that exist to eating healthy food where it's like you mentioned a big one which is time um and knowledge i think are the two big ones in my brain where if you are located within a socioeconomic group or um a marginalized group or have a dis physical disability like any of those things that we're, we're talking about that are barriers to just even getting to a store if you locate within a food desert you're probably also working lots and lots of hours in order to survive or 
time is really, really valuable to you because you need to take care of yourself and your loved ones. Or you went to school, a school that didn't teach any cooking skills. Or you were disconnected from your family and so didn't learn cooking skills from them. Or your parents worked a bunch or whatever. Not only is time like really, really precious and you don't have lots of it because you are using it to make money to survive, but cooking is also such a barrier because that requires time too and knowledge. And yeah, so there's like so many elements to our food system besides just the distribution of food and where things are located and what food deserts are, because I think a big part of food deserts is also like knowledge deserts um, as well, or even just capacity deserts where like folks who live in those places don't have the capacity to get themselves to the store and then to cook the food that they buy. So I just want to mention the racial inequalities that exist in this. So rates of food insecurity are twice as high among Indigenous populations and catastrophic levels of hunger prevail in parts of northern Canada. Me personally, I'm a student who studies Arctic history and I know that because of colonization and the horrible genocidal tactics against Inuit from 19th to 20th century onwards and to present day um, has displaced their connection to hunting and gathering as their ancestors would have. And now many rely on the community co-op for food where prices can be over $50 for some vegetables. The price for food, especially healthy food in the north, is so high because they have to barge up food during the melting period when harbors are ice-free. And I think just in my personal experience, I visited the Yukon a couple years ago, and we went into Superstore just to get some snacks. All the shelves were empty um, because it was during a period where they were still waiting for a shipment of uh, food. Where you are in so-called Canada, especially in the north, you may not even have access to, within your area, to a place that has healthy food. That's crazy. But like, what does that say about not only our food system, but like the systems that have made us dependent on this fucked food system, you know? And especially like you mentioned, this like Inuit folks being so disconnected from their food system because of colonization. They shouldn't have to be dependent on that are brought into the store, but colonization has made it that way. It's just so aggravating. <laughs> tells us that we need to be looking at these problems as interconnected and not isolating the problems that we see in the food system from all of the other structures and social inequalities that exist in this world. Think of just like white supremacy and like those two words together. I'm like, the supremacy of what? Our food would be so bland and lacking of culture without like Mexican food, Indian food, so-called ethnic food lack of culture that we have we still think that we're supremacist over all these other cultures it's like no obviously the food system is messed up and really bad and affects a lot of people differently but by focusing on only that i don't want to devalue the beautiful resistance work that that happens and farms and community gardens have been sites of resistance for black and other BIPOC folks for so, so long in this place, um, in so-called Canada and, and other places on Turtle Island. And so, and even like up north, I don't know how much, I, you probably know way more about this than me, but 
I feel like community gardens have even like popped up up north as as um, sites of resistance to colonization, but also like ways to take control of of a food system that isn't serving the folks. The production of research that comes out of non-Inuit people is mainly focused on environmental concerns and they lack a connection. Inuit are essential for the Arctic environment. So and yes, of course, there's so many resurgence activism that goes into uplifting their voices on mainstream media. And I think it's kind of like one of my passions. Inuit are at the forefront of so much environmental research and they there's so many prominent scientists and knowledge that comes out of their community that we should value a lot more than we do. Just going back to the one aspect of distribution that I want to discuss, the distribution of food and the amount of food waste due to spoiling or cosmetic deficiencies. I think as urbanites who may not have our own garden, but we don't see exactly what happens at the grocery store and how things are taken off the shelf and how much food waste actually occurs in urban centers. Something that happens a lot here in so-called Victoria is there's a culture of dumpster diving here and it's it's really interesting to look in any dumpster behind any grocery store and see the sheer amount of edible food that is wasted. And there's actually a really another really great podcast episode. It's on the Sprouting Conversations podcast. It's the episode with Alora and Megan chatting and they and they talk a lot about how food waste um, is kind of essential to capitalism, but capitalism also creates those barriers for us to to not have food waste. So um, that's like a more in-depth conversation. But something that's really rad that's happening here on on Lekwungen and Wasanich territories is the community food support program where youth-led, youth-run food distribution program that distributes all food that would have been thrown in the waste. It's messed up, especially the fact that like, you know, we were just talking about the amount of food that we import, the amount of folks that live in food deserts, the amount of folks that don't have access to food. And then you, you think about how much food is actually being wasted and it's just mind boggling. Yeah, I listened to that podcast too and I think they did a really good job just kind of like going in on um, capitalism and food. I think there's a lot uh, of knowledge coming out now as we're becoming more empowered with our relationship with food and listening to just not even a podcast related to food but there was an ad about um an organization that takes food who cosmetically deficient and re i don't know if they resell it or give it away but i yeah i think it's resell so it's like instead of going to like a grocery store that has all the pretty food you can go <laughs> to this place and it's not that it's not pretty it's just like considered cosmetically deficient. So like maybe the bananas have a couple of brown spots. So there's a lot being done on this front, bringing it back full circle. We are, like I said, becoming more empowered with our relationship with food and we're a little too late, but valuing so much uh, indigenous knowledge and uplifting those voices of people who have been oppressed. The process of growing your own food really shakes that up. I think if you don't like eating cosmetically deficient, I think you used that, those words, cosmetically deficient 
food. That's the technical term. <laughs> the technical term. <laughs> um, like all of that internalized things for them come from the systems that we live under and what society tells us is good food to eat and things need to look nice and stuff. But then when you have this experience where you've worked so hard to grow yeah. a vegetable and it doesn't look exactly like you want it to look, it's still your baby. And you're like, I, I nurtured this and I tended it for whatever, 60, 100 days, just so this moment I could pull it out of the ground or take it off of the plant and, and eat it. And then, and then it really doesn't matter what it looks like because you're just in awe of the fact that you grew it and that the land produced that for you. And so, you know, we're talking a lot about like big overarching systemic problems today. And I really feel like my, my passion and my strong suit lies in talking about the, the small moments of, of what you can learn from growing food because it's so tangible. Those experiences impact you more than like sitting in a lecture hall and talking about the big systemic <laughs> issues, I think, for me at least. I'm, I'm a land-based learner for sure so much to be learned and unlearned through the process of growing food and and things like food waste and who deserves food and food distribution are all all so embedded in in that yeah i totally agree and i'm so glad you're on this podcast today because for those exact reasons i think talking about land-based education towards food is really important to enlightening our understanding of food and our relationship with food. In Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kummer, her advice to someone who wants to be more connected to the earth and land-based learning is to start a garden. If you have access to a place that provides the tools to creating your own garden, like why not try? Why not give it a shot and see what comes out of your garden? Yeah, there's so much to be learned and, and so much care goes into it. And then when you spend hours and hours and hours thinking and caring for, thinking about and caring for a one meter by two meter space and you develop this love and connection for it because of what it does for you, it's really easy to think about land and caring for land on a larger scale and how important that is if like this one one meter by two meter piece of land is, is so valuable and you can see the importance of it and so i think that's a, a really great quote or concept from robin walkenmer to bring up um, because it does really connect you to to place and and to the value of i keep saying value and i don't mean value like value under capitalism but just like the <laughs> yeah. inherent beautiful bountiful value of of land so i feel like growing your own food like not only does it help you connect to the land as well it also kind of touches on how we were talking about in the beginning like we didn't know where our food comes from but now it's like we know where it came from like it came from like my garden you know like, i did that and then also it's just like so much more sustainable because like you really get to choose what goes into your food like kind of how it goes with cooking like when you cook, it's so much healthier because you get to know what goes in. But like when you're growing your own vegetables, high as it goes when it comes to knowing what you're eating because you're literally producing it. So I feel like there's so many benefits to growing your own food. Looking to indigenous leaders of this knowledge is really important too because there's no decolonization without indigenous peoples leading the way in so-called Victoria, Wasinich, and Lakotan territories. What decolonization means for moving forward, you know, we have a lot of things happening and we're, we've, our food system has moved in a way that we have 
a reliance on and also like an attachment to certain types of vegetables and stuff like that. So then how do we hold space for, for both like land-based knowledge and the food systems like Camas Meadows and that sort of thing that already exists in this place and the caretakers of that, those systems, feeding people with the food that they've become accustomed to and, um, and rely on as well. And like that combination I think could look really beautiful when done right. And, and definitely, like you said, it needs to, the movement needs to be led by indigenous folks and we need to be like in deep, deep listening to them when we're thinking about creating new futures and futures of food. Yeah, exactly. And I think just thinking critically about the type of like food propaganda that is out there today and um, how much of it is disconnected from cultural aspects of food and traditional uh, ecological knowledge. Like if someone on Instagram is telling you to eat something, maybe think a little bit more about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, do you guys have any closing comments or anything that you'd like to add or just talk about here? I think we covered everything. <laughs> all, all about food. All about food. Yeah, we covered so, so much in, in such a broad and kind of surface level way. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the journey that we just went on. But also <laughs> want to recognize that all of these things that we touched briefly on are, are super, super nuanced. And, and there's a lot to, to dive into with, with each and every single topic encouraging folks to to find ways to grow their own food, whether that means like starting your own garden or coming to the Uvic Campus Community Garden just to have the experience of touching a plant. There's so many, so many, so many barriers. Part of our work is to to reduce those barriers to it's just such a wonderful, wonderful experience to to learn from the land in in that way and throughout that that long process of of tending a garden. And if anyone has any questions, I am always available. Yeah, so I have a question. So for folks that like can't grow their own garden or don't have access to a community garden, such as the one um, by Uvic, what do you suggest they could do to help? Should they go to like farmers markets or like what do you suggest that they could do if they wanna? like participate in like more local sustainable food systems? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. And also a difficult question because it's like different folks have different capacities and, and privilege and um, resources to, to do those things. So definitely do what you can. And if what you can do is buy your food locally at a farmer's market, and that's a really enjoyable experience for you, then do that. If you, if you have a windowsill and you want to put a houseplant on your windowsill, that's like a big thing um, that you can do to connect yourself to, to life and to plants still. And, and to, there's so much learning to be done in that process of tending those plants as well. Another thing that, that folks can do is like stop being individuals in this place. If you're someone who has space in your backyard or has the capacity to grow your own food, be sharing that stuff so that the folks who don't have the capacity or the resources or the privilege to do those things can still partake in it and come closer to, to being there with you. Um, because that's the way that we 
pull barriers down is by sharing what we have and sharing the privilege that we have. And if there's organizations out there that are near you, like the Uvic Campus Community Garden, that you feel could support you in your adventures to becoming more connected to local and organic food or growing your own food or whatever it is that you're passionate about in food related, like reach out, um, especially, especially to us. I love receiving emails and I love answering questions and, and helping folks in whatever way I can. Thank you. So if anyone like um, close by UVic want to go to the community garden to help out, how would they do it? Like, would they just show up or do we have to like contact you guys on your socials first? Yeah, it's really difficult right now because of COVID and, and I want to preface this by saying that this is not the way I want it to be. But um, right now we're limiting the number of spots in our volunteer work parties to, so that we can maintain social distancing and stuff. But we have opportunities for volunteers to come to the garden every Friday. And there's two time slots that you have to sign up for in advance and there's six spots in each. The first one is at 1 p.m. every Friday and the second one's at 3 p.m. every Friday. But having said that, um, because that's like such a, a niche time and there's only so many spots. Um, we're always happy to like give folks tours of the garden and stuff like that. And it is a community space. So you're welcome to just like go in and go for a walk whenever, whenever you're walking by or email me and I'll, I'll give you a tour. Those things are on our socials and our website. I'm sure a lot of people will check that out. I mean, I might, so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. That's awesome. And yeah, I think I just want to point out that if you believe yourself to be in a privileged place in this on the Saanich and Lithuanian territories, uh, I think Community Food Support is still looking for delivery drivers for to send out food. If you're looking for something to do, how to help, um, that's a great opportunity. We'll also drop some links to places where you can donate in uh, the description of this episode and follow UVic Sustainability uh, at uvic.sustainability on Instagram and we will always be sharing uh, uplifting Indigenous voices within our community and how we can all work together to feeding our community sustainably. Do you guys have anything that you want to plug? Just an amazing conversation with you two so thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast it was really wonderful to talk to you both and, and think about things that I don't think about in my everyday existence. And yeah, follow us at Ubic Campus Garden on Instagram. Yay! Thank you for listening. Catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sustainability Time podcast hosted by the University of Victoria Sustainability Project. This podcast was edited by Anne-Marie Pierce and Emma-Jane Burian, and the music is by Hook Sound.